You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers, There is no condemnation in Christ. Well, welcome to 12 Stone here and across all of our campuses and online. For those of you tuning in with us, man, we are glad that you are here. How many of you are fired up to be here? Yes? Good to go? Awesome. Awesome. Well, right off the top, I want to share a confession. I am absolutely fired up right now about something else that's going on in our lives. College football is back, baby. It is back. Come on. It deserves more of a celebration than that. Life is better with college football in it. It just is. Now, the bad guys won last night. That's all right. Uh, Florida, ooh, awesome. Good. Congratulations on that. But, uh, man, we know the good guys are going to win coming up. In fact, let's find out. With college football starting, who are you a fan of? Here and across all of our campuses, make some noise. Let's, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. You guys are anxious. I like this. Uh, Georgia fans, let's hear it across all of our campuses. Sure. Georgia Tech fans? A little bit sadder, just a little bit. We all know why, it's all right. Alabama fans? Satan, get behind us, right? Get back here. Clemson, anybody? Yeah, maybe. Auburn? All right, well, hey, let's let everybody be a part of this, maybe the largest group. How many people could care less about college football? Let me hear it. Uh, My wife is in that group, man. She is in that group. Her favorite college football team is anybody that is playing my favorite team, the Michigan Wolverines. She thinks it's hilarious. I think we need counseling. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'm just kidding. But man, I love the start of the college football season because... All bets are off, man. Anybody could win. We all have hope. I mean, if you're a fan of a team, you're convinced there's a chance. There's a, it may be small, but there is a chance that your team could do something this year. In fact, every year there's always stories out there. Inevitably, I love it. There's always one fan that is so convicted and so convinced their team's going to do well that they go get a tattoo somewhere on their body and say national champs 2020 before the season ever starts. And they learn to regret that later, I'm sure. But man, we're talking about convictions here at 12 Stone. Last week, we started a study inside of Romans chapter 8. See, Romans chapter 8 isn't just a book of the Bible, it's a conviction. But more specifically, it's the Apostle Paul's conviction. It's the sum of all of his faith and everything he's talked about throughout of all of Romans till he gets to chapter 8. And he lays out six convictions that form his faith. But more than that, he banked his eternity on these convictions. It mattered to him. So we're going to continue that study in Romans chapter 8. In fact, why don't you grab your worship center Bibles, uh, pull one out. If you have your Bible, open that up, get your digital device, whatever you're doing. Uh, in our worship center Bibles, we're going to be on page 1,132, Romans chapter 8, landing and starting in verse 1. But as you turn there, as you're getting ready, uh, let's recap kind of where we've been starting last week. We went after one conviction last week, and here it is, uh, and it was the conviction That God is for us. God is for us. This is the conviction 
that is the turning point in everything inside of our lives. When you realize that this conviction is true, that God is for you, that he loves you, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, to take your place, man, there is no greater conviction we could ever learn in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 carried the weight of that moment, but we're reminded in this conviction that God loves you where he finds you. We just sang about that. But we also sang that God's love is too good to leave you there. See, what's going to happen is we're going to keep going through this study for the next five weeks. And as we do, we're going to realize that Paul is going to begin to ask a question as he goes throughout the rest of Romans chapter 8. And here's kind of what he's going to go after. He's going to say, since the gospel is true, how does that change how we see our lives? This is what we're going to wrestle through in the next five weeks. See, if the gospel is true, how does it change our lives? How does it change how we view our relationships? How does it change how we view our circumstances and the problems that we face? What freedom does the gospel give us inside of our lives? This is what we're going to continue to walk through. And the last question is kind of, what freedom will we experience What freedom do we experience in our life? In fact, there's a freedom we're going after here today, and and this is it, freedom from guilt. You can just write that down. We're going after freedom from guilt. This is what I believe God wants for you today. This is what he has for you today. In fact, we've been praying this over you all week. Now, to go after this freedom and to go after the conviction that we're going to hold today, I first want to start by asking you a question, and here's the question. What is your greatest regret? Now, I'm, I'm not talking about the moment you became a Georgia Tech football fan. We get it, right? <laughs> it's too easy. I'm not talking about the night you went out and got Waffle House at midnight. Regretted that one later. I'm not talking about the time you spent $25 to go see the latest Nicolas Cage movie in the theaters. Not talking about that. I'm talking about a moment that you wish you could go back to and change the decision that you made. That because you made this decision in your life, there is a reservoir of pain, shame, and guilt that is just building up inside of you that you desperately want freedom for. What is your greatest regret? In fact, I want to take a moment right now. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them your greatest regret in your life? I'm just kidding. Do not do that, right? Obviously, you guys get this. Don't do that. That is awkward for everybody in this room. It's awkward for you sharing it. Awkward for the person that has to hear it. Nobody wants any, anything to do with that. Why? Be- because this stuff is personal. This is private. This is, this is weighty. The guilt that is inside of us hurts. In fact, there's a website called Secret Regrets that I actually stumbled upon as I was preparing for this message that it's such a reality that we carry these things inside of our lives that they created a website that people could anonymously share their regrets, try to get it out of them, try to get some freedom from it, from just putting it somewhere. And I went on the website, and I wanted to share a few with you uh, that I pulled from it. You can see this. Let me read. I regret 
that I never told you kids I love you when you were growing up. I regret that for some reason, still, I still can't say the words. Another one. I regret complaining about us walking too slowly and you leaning on me for balance. It was so much harder for you being handicapped. I was just a kid and I'm sorry, mom. I regret that I was a self-centered father who didn't spend enough time with you. I regret that because of it, you looked for that attention in so many other men. And they get somewhat less specific as you read. I regret giving you my heart when all you wanted was my body. I regret that I never told you how I felt. I regret that I didn't fight for us. It's heavy. Some of you in this room, you're starting to form a new regret. Man, I, I regret showing up here today for this. This is it's too heavy, right? But man, listen, we can't walk into church and tiptoe around the issues that are going on inside of our lives. God has more for us inside of that. But if there's one thing that we have in common all together as a church here today as we walk in, it's this. See, we all have regrets and the guilt that comes with it. All of us have regrets and the guilt that come with it inside of our lives. And yet God wants to give us freedom from those regrets. Maybe you would go back in your own life, you would go back before you took that first drink. Maybe you'd go back before you said those words to your parents. Maybe you'd go back before you had that affair. Maybe you'd go back before you lashed out in anger towards your kids. So we all have regrets. And we have this guilt inside of us that we're carrying with it. But I believe today, God wants to give us freedom from those guilts. He wants to free us up through the Holy Spirit to walk out of this place new. In a place where the regrets don't hold on to us, that we don't have to carry them anymore inside of our lives. And how is God going to do that with us today? Through the conviction we're going after. There is no condemnation in Christ. That's it. And so for us to experience this freedom, we need God. And he is here. He is present. I promise you that. You walked into the presence of God. I want to pray. Would you pray with me here across all our campus? Can we bow our heads? Can we pray that God would use today, use this moment to work inside of each and every one of our lives? So Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we do, we pray, we, we, we lift this day up to you and we acknowledge that this is a heavy subject. Man, heavy, heavy subject when you talk about regret and guilt. Would you meet us again in the mess of our lives and would you give us freedom from guilt here today in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Holy Spirit? We ask that you would reveal to us where we are carrying guilt in our lives and that you would remove it from us. May my words be your words. Holy Spirit, move now through your word. May your kingdom come. And your will be done here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. As I was preparing this message, I was looking for a picture 
to put in front of you that represented Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that would make sense to you to help us understand what Paul is trying to say in this point of scripture. And believe it or not, uh, God gave me a picture of what that looks like, and it's through a tradition that takes place on the U University of Georgia campus. Believe it or not, they have other traditions besides losing big football games. Uh, Oh, it's so much fun. It really is. It's just, it's amazing. Oh, shame on you. Kidding. One of the traditions they had, it's just awesome stuff. It is actually called the Arch. It goes back 160 years. If you've never seen this before on the campus, this is the Arch. And here's the tradition. That when you graduate from the University of Georgia, when you get handed your diploma, you are then allowed to walk underneath this arch. But if you don't have your diploma, you are not allowed to walk underneath the arch. You have to walk around. Very interesting. And when you see it in person, you, you can see that around the arch is so much more worn out. That there's, it's dirty, the marble is worn down, but underneath the arch is just white and clean because so many people have to walk around and very few can walk underneath it. Now, let me make a point. Why, why does that matter? I believe that matters because in the same way that people interact with this arch, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is the arch, so to speak, of graduation that we walk under when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. See, we go from being in sin to in Christ and get access to walk under this arch of no condemnation. And, and literally, verse 1 should be the verse, first thought in your mind every single day you wake up. It is the emergency exit away from guilt and the entrance into God's grace. And so Paul wants us to see this arch. No condemnation in Christ. The conviction that needs to be formed inside of each and every one of our hearts and our minds and in our lives. And so you already have it open to it. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And so if you would, we're going to read this together, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something we don't normally do. But would you read this scripture out loud with me as we go through it together? You're open up to it, page 1,132 in your worship center Bibles. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read together. I'll start with therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, this is the greatest news of the gospel. This is, this is the gift of no guilt inside of our lives. Paul is telling us, man, you gotta get this conviction inside of your heart. Make this the arch that you walk under every single day of your life. No condemnation in Christ. But I think if we're being honest with one another, as soon as we read this scripture together, I, doesn't it just come through your head? Don't you just have this thought, man, man, I just don't know if I can walk under that arch. Man, I don't know if I'm worthy, so to speak, to be able to walk under an arch of no condemnation. I mean, do you know what I've done in my life? Why do we feel that way? Guilt. And Paul wants us to see here today that there are two parts to no condemnation in our life that we have to discover to fully understand that. And the first part is to ask the question, and this is the question, what is the gift of no condemnation? What is the gift of no condemnation? Well, the answer lies in the first word of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. 
therefore, and look right at it. Whenever you read the Bible and you come across the word therefore, the rule is go find out what it's there for. There's a reason it's there. And Paul wants to get our attention. He wants us to turn back to Romans chapter 7. He's saying, hey, this is the reason there's a therefore. This is why this exists. And, and Paul wrote about his own struggles with regret and guilt inside of the end of Romans chapter 7. So we're going to go back. Let's go see what Paul was walking through to see if we can relate and see how he made himself able to walk under this arch. So Romans chapter 7, verse 14. I'll read. You can follow along. This is Paul's struggle through regret and guilt. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law, meaning the Ten Commandments, is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. Now, have you ever thought to yourselves, man, I just wish I was a little bit more spiritual in my life. I wish I had that. I wish I could be there. Man, Paul thought that. He had moments like that in his life. Man, he just wished he could be more spiritual. But verse 15 continues. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. This is the most relatable point of scripture inside of the Bible for me, right? I mean, have you ever had the moment where literally you, you, you committed a sin in your life, you made a mistake, you did something wrong, and you told yourself, you said, I'm never going to do that again. And the next day you do it again. Have you ever been there? Am I alone? No. Man, this is what Paul's going through. He's saying, listen, you're just like me. What I want to do, I cannot do, but what I hate, I find myself doing. This is the battle that goes inside of our souls, that goes on inside of our minds as we walk with Jesus. Keep reading. Verse 21, jump down. Verse 21, listen to this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Paul, Paul's going, listen, I am the worst. I am wretched. I am terrible, man. You should know the things that I've done. This is Paul who orchestrated the killing of Christians. He's looking at this arch of no condemnation going, man, how is it even possible for me to walk through this? In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul admits, he says, listen, I am the worst of all sinners. You thought you were the worst. Paul's claiming it. He's going, nope, that's me. But then he continues. Verse 24, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And now Paul is about to give us the answer to the dilemma that's going on inside of his life. The dilemma is this. I'm in Christ. I trust Jesus for the forgiveness of the sin, but this sin keeps following me. I keep struggling with it. I can't get past it. And then he asks the question, so so knowing that I struggle with sin, Paul's going, what is going to be the condemnation I have to face for this struggle? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, baby. Therefore, let's read it. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Has there ever been a more powerful therefore in all of Scripture? 
No condemnation. Paul's going, I struggle with it all the time. No condemnation. Not in Christ. See, for Romans chapter 8, verse 1, to matter inside of your lives, you have to have done something wrong. Last time I checked, we all have. The person next to you thinks they haven't. Nudge them. Let them know. You're pretty jacked up too. And while every single one of us qualifies for this, not every single one of us can claim it. Last three words, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, in Christ Jesus. God says in Christ, I don't condemn you, but only in Christ. See, condemnation is a legal term. It means there's a charge held against you. You have a debt that you owe, and because of that debt, there is a guilt that you carry on top of it. For those in Christ, the debt of sin no longer exists because the debt has been paid in full. We talked about it last week. Charles Spurgeon, theologian, pastor, love him, said this, it would be unjust for God to hold the believer in Christ responsible for sin because that would be requiring two payments for the same sin. See, here's what he means. Let me illustrate it this way. It's crazy, stupid, hot in Georgia right now, isn't it? It's just ridiculous. It, I mean, it's so hot, I look outside and I start sweating. My dog has lost the will to go for walks. He's like, forget it. We're not doing it. Not worth it. Now, let's just say that because it's so hot, I set the thermostat in my house to 65 degrees to keep it cool. Let's say I do that for the whole month, and then at the end of the month, we get this bill that's absolutely ridiculous. And my wife looks at it and goes, you got to be kidding me. But then she pays the bill for our expense. And let's say the next day, Georgia Power calls me, says, hey, Sean, listen, you're the guy that set the temperature. We're going to need you to pay too. I'm going to look at them. You're crazy. That's ridiculous. That's already been paid for. That's taken care of. You no claim on me. That's what Jesus did. If you are in Christ, you cannot be condemned. It is paid for. Look at it this way. If I am in Christ, God doesn't condemn me for my sin because Jesus was fully condemned for it. Already condemned. Maybe you can better understand it this way. Your sin is a scar that Jesus wears. Yeah, your sin is a scar that Jesus wears. We can celebrate that. And here's what that means. Your anger, when you lost your temper and flipped out, that is a scar on the back of Jesus when he was whipped. Your adultery, that's a scar on Jesus' hand from when the nail went through. Your coveting, that's a scar on his brow from the crown of thorns they thrust on. Your sin is a scar that Jesus wears. Jesus didn't just die for you. He became your sin on the cross. He was condemned in your place. All the while, while they're beating him and whipping him and crucifying him, and he's getting these scars from all the sins that we're going to commit inside of our lives, he's standing there thinking of you going, I love you. 
I'm doing this because of you. I love you. I can't let this fall on you. I don't want this to fall on you. This is on me. I love you. And Jesus is crying that still out today, here and now, to each and every one of you. Your sins are paid for because Jesus became your sins on the cross. No condemnation. So what is the gift of no condemnation? I think many of us know it. It's this. Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. The penalty is paid for. But I think too many of us as Christians, this is where we stop. This is where we stop. We go, oh, got it. Jesus paid for my sins. I'm going to give him my life, surrender. I'm going to be in Christ, and now I'm good. God's got me covered. But listen, we sang about it. We've been talking about it. God's love is too good to leave you where he finds you. Now he wants to grow you up. Now he wants to change you. He wants to continue to form things inside of you. And he wants to continue the journey. See, there's two parts to what no condemnation means. And I think this is the most important part for us here today. Because Romans chapter 8, verse 2 starts with what word? Because. When you see the word because, you know it's, he's not done. Paul's not done. He's trying to still work with us, you and I, here today. So continue to read. The answer is found in the word because in verse 2. Therefore, there is no There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you what? Free from the law of sin and death. So you can't miss the connection between these two verses. The complement to forgiveness of sin is the release from the power of sin. It's the other side of the coin. The other, the other side of the salvation coin. Salvation is being freed in forgiveness, but the other side is being freed from the power of sin. So, so here's the question. What is the evidence of condemnation? The Holy Spirit frees us from the power of sin. This is what Paul's telling us. We don't have to settle just for the penalty being paid. We are freed up from the power of sin inside of our lives. We do not have to sin with the Holy Spirit within us. What is the power of sin? What is the power of sin over our lives? I believe the majority part of it is regret and guilt. That we should be living our lives with such freedom that we should be able to walk through this arch each and every day knowing there's no condemnation. But the power of sin is the regret that comes into our lives. That the guilt that's stored within us that causes us to think twice and want to walk around it. Thinking, no, I I just can't. You don't know what I've done. Let me help you understand what the power of sin looks like inside of our lives. Cassie and I, my wife, and I, we celebrated our 10th anniversary a few weeks ago, and we had the opportunity. Yeah, you can celebrate it. That's awesome. And uh, 
we had the opportunity. We've never been west of Colorado, and so we're like, man, let's go to California. And so we took a trip, flew out to California together, went to see L.A. and San Diego, but really we were going there to see Disneyland. That's just who we are. And, uh, and so we were doing that. But if you've ever been on a trip with a spouse, anniversary, or just a trip in general, you know that there can be some tension inside of the packing phase, getting ready, packing your stuff to go. And I've already told you a million times, I'm the cheapest human being you'll ever meet. It's just, it is what it is. I'm I don't like spending money. And so as we're getting ready for this trip, I walk into our bedroom and I see my wife on the floor packing her carry-on bag. And I immediately notice that it's overflowing and there's a bunch of stuff on the outside just laying around and she's clearly frustrated. And she looks at me and she goes, Sean, I don't have enough room for everything I need to pack. I mean, she's got like 20 sets of clothes and 30 pairs of shoes laying out here. I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't need all that. So you don't understand. You don't get it. If the weather's nice, I have to wear this. And those sandals go with this. But if it's rainy, I need shoes. So those shoes go with this dress. But these pants, if I wear those, I gotta have these shoes. This top only matches those pairs of pants. I'm going, are you kidding me? What? And she looked at me, and I kid you not, she said this. She said, Sean, if you wanna have as much fun as you think you're gonna have on this vacation, we're going to need to pack another bag and pay for it. I didn't want to pay for it. Who wants to pay for a luggage bag to go on an airplane to fly out to where you want to go? I don't want to do that. She's like, listen, I looked it up. It's only $30. It's only 30 bucks to fly this bag. I'm like, you got to be came out. Fine, fine. All right, yes. I want to have fun. Yes. Let's go. Uh, get the bag. Start packing it up. I leave. I come back in. I see the bag, and I literally, I say out loud, I said, what are we moving? Like, what, what is this thing? Like, I sense you don't understand how big this bag is. Let me show you. Bruce, you got that bag for me. Bring that out here. This thing is ridiculous. Get a clue. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you. Really? Like, come on. I'm already insecure about my height. Like, this thing is not happening. I'm walking around the airport with this thing, and people are just laughing and looking at me. I might take a picture to last longer and just, I'm just walking. We get up, we get in line. I'm just standing here like, you've got to be kidding me. We get up to the line to check our bag. I have to deadlift this thing to get it up. I'm like, oh, I drop it. It bangs on the metal weight carrier, the weigher there. And I just stand there looking at the guy like this as it sits there. And he's doing his little typing, doing his thing. Looks up at me and he goes, that'll be $130. I looked at him I'm sorry, sir, I must have misheard you. I thought you said $130. He goes, oh yeah, it's $130. I go, what? He goes, it's seven pounds over the limit. I watch him snap on a little baggage tag that says heavy. Thanks. <laughs> Immediately when he says $130, I turn and look at my wife, who's standing next to me. And all she did, she looked at me. She wasn't crying yet, but she just looked at me. She goes, I'm so sorry. I would love to say that I handled this well. <laughs> Oh, but I did not. Oh, man. I, man, I just held it against her for a little bit. I was so bitter and angry. I'm paying 260 bucks to fly a bag back and forth with our stuff that we don't need. The guy looked at me and goes, would you like to remove seven pounds to lower the cost? I looked at him and said, I want to remove seven pairs of shoes, but uh, I don't know about that. And listen, this thing was in the way everywhere we went. We got in our rental car. It wouldn't fit in the trunk. I'm not kidding. <laughs> We had to lower the seats to stuff it in. Cassie goes, do you want to get a new car? I said, no, I want to get a new bag. This is ridiculous. 
We thought it'd be cute to rent a tiny house and stay in a house. It's going to be so cute. This thing took up the whole dining room table. <laughs> Just walk around it all day. But you know what? And we got it. We had a great vacation. We got, we got over it. But I'll tell you what, this bag on that trip, this luggage bag, Every time we looked at it, it was just a reminder of guilt. Every time Cassie saw this bag, it just reminded her of the guilt of the cost of what it took to get it there. Every time I looked at this bag, it just reminded me of the guilt of how I handled it with her. And so everywhere we went on this anniversary, <laughs> and it was just a reminder of guilt. Man, the whole time, just looking at this thing, man, just feels so guilty about it. But that is the power of sin. See, the power of sin is that when we do things that we regret, when we have guilt inside of something we do, we carry it around with us everywhere we go in life. We just walk around. Majority of us do this. We just don't want to pretend it's even there. It's following us, though. And that's how we handle our guilt inside of our life. But listen, the power of sin is guilt over us. How do we break that power? Through the Holy Spirit through confession. When we confess our sins before the Holy Spirit, he will free us from the power of that sin and take that regret from us. Let me show you what it looks like for you and I in our lives. Here's what we do. We have this baggage, this regret, this guilt that we're carrying inside of our lives. And every morning we wake up, we're looking at this arch of no condemnation in Christ. And as we walk up to it, Satan's native tongue is condemnation. That's how he speaks. And so when we look at the arch and walk towards it, he starts yelling at us, you're not worthy. You're not, you're not a follower of Jesus. Are you kidding me? I know what you did last night. You don't love Jesus. Man, if you love Jesus, you would have served that person yesterday. You just served yourself. You don't follow him. And these words of condemnation just get spoken to our lives. And as we carry this guilt, we just walk around feeling like we can never walk under this arch. Even though we're in Christ, the regret and guilt of sin causes us to walk past it. And God and Paul is telling us right now, there's another way. You can't miss a second part. And that is freedom from guilt and freedom from the power of sin by confession in the Holy Spirit. Here's what it needs to look like inside of our lives. We got our baggage. We start walking towards this arch of no condemnation in Christ. And as we start walking, Satan starts talking to us and yelling at us and condemning us. We should let that push us back towards the cross inside of our lives, where we would put the baggage that we're carrying with us in front of God. Every morning, get up, get in front of the word of God and read it. Pray to him, ask him, say, God, I confess before you what I've done. And this regret is overwhelming me. This guilt is condemning me and I can't handle it anymore. And the Holy Spirit will meet you in that moment right there. And what he will do is free you from the power of sin. And he will simply take this regret, take the baggage of your life, slide it away and point to the cross. See, Satan wants us to remember our sins, but the Holy Spirit wants us to remember the cross. And when you spend time with God, he's going to point to the cross. And so when we get up, when we look at the arch of no condemnation, we're not going to walk through it on our own behalf because we're good enough. We're going to grab the cross in the moments we spend with him and pick it up. And if Satan tries to condemn us, we're going to look at him and say, I got Jesus Christ. You don't understand. There ain't condemnation. There's nothing you can do to me. I am saved through Jesus Christ. That is the answer to our faith. Listen, when Satan starts condemning you, remind him his failure is as certain as your forgiveness. Victory's already won. 
Where have you settled in your life by just erasing and being free from the penalty of sin when God's going, I ain't done yet. I want to erase the, the power of sin in your life through the Holy Spirit. And you got to get before God. You got to let the Holy Spirit work inside of your life to free you from this. Here's how it breaks down. Right here, they'll throw it up. You can write it down. Jesus frees us from the eternal condemnation but the Holy Spirit frees us from everyday condemnation. See, this declaration of no condemnation applies to both your past and future sins. We know this by the word now, which is in verse one. It says now, right here, no condemnation. See, many Christians get that Jesus paid the penalty for their sin, but many of us think that if we commit future sin, we're then condemned again, and it's just not true. Let me prove it to you. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, how many of your sins had you already committed? Zero. See, there's no condemnation for the sins you committed when you're in Christ and you've surrendered your life to him. And there is no condemnation for the sins you're going to commit that you don't even know about because you're in Christ. But we're called to break the power of sin in our lives through the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that next week. But today, when you realize that there is no condemnation in Christ, what does it do to you? How does it free you? Two ways. Here's the first. You will stop condemning others. Instead of looking at people for their sins and condemning them for it, you'll begin to see people the way Jesus sees them as lost sheep without a shepherd. And you'll pray for them. You'll walk over to your neighbors and your coworkers and say, man, I love you. How can I help you in life? What's going on? And you'll just talk to them. But when we realize that there's no condemnation, it means you'll stop condemning others. But here's the second way that it changes our lives. You will stop condemning yourself. Some of you here today you understand that the penalty of sin has been paid in Jesus. But you can't walk through the arch of no condemnation because you simply can't forgive yourself for what you've done. And you say, Sean, you just don't understand. You don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't. But Jesus does. And he knows what you've yet to do still. And he would look at you here today and say, no condemnation. Not in me. Give your life to Christ. Walk through the arch of no condemnation because he bears the scars of your sins. He's been condemned for them.